0: You're listening to Colored Commentary, a Threaded podcast. If you'd like to learn more about Threaded and the ways to support and donate to this organization, check out WeAreThreaded.org. Now, here's the show. Well, how you doing out there, Colored Commentary family? It is me, Marcus Lloyd, your host of Colored Commentary, Colorful conversations by colorful people about christianity culture and race and with me as always in his studio mr antoine malone what's happening antoine yo
1: yo what's up everybody welcome welcome so excited for this episode yes. and this show with a very special guest i think you guys will be very excited to be a part of oh
0: man i'm pumped about it pumped yes. about it. We, yes we, we,
1: we've been kind yes. of talking we about his name so often yes. in our training and and recommended many of his his works and his letters. So the Threaded and Color Commentary community should be very familiar with <laughs> with, with this name. So I right. uh, should be very excited. Well, what's even uh, better,
0: you know, I think about it too, is, you know, these, these couple of episodes that we've got and people as they've been listening, they've been hearing us talk about uh, this great partnership that we are having with Mosaic Global Network to uh, yeah. participate with the 2022 Mosaic Conference this year in Dallas. Uh, it's going to be November eighth through the tenth, and we are getting to host the virtual session. In fact, I think we just went live on the tickets for we that. Just, Antoine. We just went
1: live at the time of this recording. It was one day old, <laughs> and we went live where you can go and and register, get your ticket, yes, uh, get your. Uh, is it a ticket? I don't know. We don't call don't, it a I mean, ticket I guess online. It's a digital it's a ticket. You, you know, you it's, just you can attend. You can let us know you're coming that's and it. pay us. Pay us your dollars. <laughs> pay us and the money. Give us your email <laughs> and, can, and you will be allowed. And interest. we will make sure that you have access to all of the wonderfulness that will be the Mosaic's virtual conference, the virtual Mosaic's conference. That's right. A That's full right. experience, Marcus. It's not, not just, just a live a stream. It's a series of live streams. We're okay. not having it.
0: Well, Tell okay. us more about that. Well, I, look, I'm with you because I know when we were talking about the virtual conference and even the idea of it with uh, Mark DeMazs. We're like we don't want to We want to try to fit some of the expectations that people have when they come to the in-person conference. Like when we were doing yeah. our polls, we were polling people. We were like, okay, so what do you, what do you like about in-person? You're like, okay, I like to be able to talk to people. I like to be able to, you know, hear from the speakers. I like to be able to feel like I'm there, that kind of thing. And so we were like, okay, so how do we make that happen? And so Absolutely. we have come up. I don't want to oversell it, right? I, yeah, I don't want to so oversell.
1: We're it. It. going to try to bring the energy of the of a conference yes to your to your living room or to your office. Uh, to your home like can we do that that's yes. our challenge
0: that is the challenge so if,
1: you, if you trust us uh, or then you want to be a part of the experience yes was it you could say the experience and the experiment i don't okay. know a little bit of both of it
2: <laughs> <You laughs> <say> if <it like laughs> you
1: want to be a part of it then um do it but i man the conference is going to be so full of really great content and speakers yeah um to be able to have access to that without having to be in the room if you can't make it because finances are tighter this year and everybody know it is for everyone or it's just schedule wise you just can't make the trip yep. then the, the virtual offer option is is really a way to to get access to all of that content while having some fun with us along the way so that's i right. think it'll be really fun
0: and i think that's an important thing for our listeners to hear is that we get to do kind of if you want to, I don't know. It's like it's like the pre-show. You know what I mean? Like if you're watching the game, you know what I mean. And all of a sudden, these old athletes come up and they're talking <laughs> about stuff. You know, oh, I wouldn't know okay. what I used to do this and that. Like, okay. oh, here's what the game. that's what we're gonna be doing. We're gonna be the old athletes, uh, in front of in behind we'll be each the John one. John Madden <laughs> and, the, uh, <laughs> and the Al Michaels of the. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about. I don't know if I want those two. I mean, you know, I mean, John, John Madden. I mean, he's a classic. <laughs> I'm thinking about the pre-show. Like they're the okay, ones who okay. are like commentary. They're, they're the end game. That's right. I, I'm gonna be more like the the Kenny Smith you know what I mean, uh, before uh, okay. uh, the basketball be game, cool you know what me? I mean? Was... I like to be cool. Kenny's cool in his suit. I like him in his suit, man. He looks good. I'm yeah. an old Rocket, you know what I mean? I'm a Rockets guy. Okay. So I like okay. a little Kenny Smith, you know what I mean? So I'm in on it. But- Alright,
1: so you can go get your tickets at uh, mosaicsconference.com or you can go to mosaicsconference.vfairs.com uh, if you want to go straight to, straight to the it. digital page. So VFairs is the letter V and F-A-I-R-S. So mosaics with an X, conference.vfairs.com. Do
0: it today. Do it today, yes. And look, there are people who are close by and who are coming to the conference. So if you're going to come to the conference in the in-person, come and buy your tickets. And when you get to go to your tickets, we're going to give you a 20% discount by using the word threaded. It's really complicated, Antoine. They type is. in Threaded as the discount code. Get 20% off your ticket, and you'll be able to get, and that's for the in-person. Uh, it's going to be fun. And you can if you're there, you can come shout, at us, shout out at us. We're going to be right there in the middle of the action doing our live virtual stuff with our virtual stage and interviewing people and interviewing guests and all that good stuff. Yeah, it's going it to be It might amazing. be interviewing you. But, who, knows? who knows? Who knows? You know, let's who see. Knows? You know, with, if, with passing a couple of 20s our way, you might get interviewed. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know, and, and you know how it is. I'm uh, you know.
2: happy
0: to get that. A money tip jar is what he's saying.
1: No,
2: just joking.
0: That That's right. We want the money that folds. We don't <laughs> want any of that, uh, none, of the, none of the jingle stuff. <laughs> so, but it's going to be a fun time. I'm excited. I'm excited about the conference for lots of speakers, right? And we get to have some of these interviews even pre conference, right? Uh, and one of the ones we get to do today is really exciting. Um, I've been following this cat for a while now. Uh, we were laughing kind of before we, we were even coming on mic, like, where are you right now? I feel like you're everywhere. Like, so it's, it's fun to get him on. Uh, he, he is uh, the, the uh, um, professor and head of the Department of Sociology and a courtesy appointment, uh, has a courtesy appointment with the College of Urban Planning and Public Policy at the University of Illinois in Chicago. Uh, I know at one point he was the provost at North Park University in Chicago. He likes his Chicago area. I mean, I know, but he also was down in Houston at Rice University for a little bit, so I'm going to give a shout-out. H down for this cat. I love it. But uh, he has been published widely uh, talking about things around race and religion and, and urban sociology. He has written and collaborated on many books, including uh, United by Faith, uh, a book called Against All Odds, The Struggle for Racial Integration in, in Religious Organizations, uh, Blacks and Whites in Christian America. Uh, one of his recent books, Religion Matters, What Sociology Teaches Us About Religion in Our World, And if you've listened to our show at any point, you know about his, probably his, the seminal work that kind of, I think, brought him on to the scene, and that is the work Divided by Faith. Yes. You're like, oh my gosh, you guys talking to the dude who did Divided by Faith, y'all talk about that all the time. Yes, that is right. We are bringing to you, not the, uh, uh, one of the speakers from Mosaic Conference, but also one of our great uh, writers uh, of our time in the race conversation. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Michael Emerson in the house. We are so glad to have you, Dr. Emerson. How are you doing, sir?
3: Antoine and Marcus. I'm excited to be here. Let me give you you're saying this is like the pregame. All right. All right. Go for so, it. You mentioned Kenny the Jet Smith. Oh, he here we go. School. Yes. We both went to North Carolina. Okay. The greatest basketball school oh, here in we the go. land. Sorry, right. everybody else. <laughs> but quick note. Kenny the Jet Smith's brother lives in Houston, as does Kenny Smith. Okay, my son growing up would go to Kenny Smith's brother's basketball camp Mm. like all the time because every once in a while Kenny Smith would show up and say, "Hey!" So there Mm, you go. I love it. See, that's what I loved about the
0: living in the Houston is you kept running into different Rockets players. You'd have all those different things, and you know, and we're talking, we're talking Kenny the Jet Smith. We're talking about like the. The heyday years of the Rockets, you know what I mean? The, the years ultimately Jordan was not playing. Uh, those, are, <laughs> those are kind of the, uh, the, years. the great question mark. The, no, yes. And, hey, look, I'm still. <laughs> yes. I'm Would still, they be the I, 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 We're not talking about that. Mine. That was my fault. I should have brought it up. Okay, All the Houston fans are like, "Why are they doing it?" You know. And I actually used to work at the golf course that Hakeem Olajuwon lived next door to, and we used to uh-huh. go over to that place. Outside, he had a big. Uh, HQ actually, or, or HO, excuse me, outside of his uh, gate. And we didn't understand it for a while because we called him Akeem for a long time, but he had this oh, yeah. H, and it wasn't until like a couple of years later that he started going by Hakeem, but we used to stand all the little kids and we'd like watch him shoot like hoops out in his yard. It was fantastic, man. I love that life. season of like life. That. But uh, <laughs> man, it's, look, it, it's good. I love I loved talking about lots of things. I love being able to kind of uh, engage in, in, in different conversations uh, as we get even into the race conversation. There's probably a lot uh, of conversation that we could have around basketball and race, uh, if we really wanted to kind of get into it we 've done a little bit when we get into that march madness time um, and and you as as a sociologist i mean that 's kind of your your space that you work, um, which you know you 're really studying a lot of uh, society you know uh, human problems and things of that nature i 'm curious um, why why race? Like of all the sort of human problems you could be kind of engaging from a sociological standpoint, what brought you to the subject of race?
3: Yeah, well, I, that's a great question. You know, you wonder how you end up doing what you do. Mm. I think, um, clearly, uh, God pushed me into that direction. Sure. And, you know, I could say, so I, I grew up in a small, Although I was born in Chicago, we quickly moved out of Chicago and lived in a small town in central Minnesota where everybody was mm. Scandinavian except my mother, who was Italian. And I could watch how she just could never make it work in that town and how uncomfortable she was mm. and how she was treated. And I think that started my interest in it. Wow.
0: <laughs> okay. And so that's, and that's most people when they're talking about obviously racial conversations, they're not thinking of that sort of Scandinavian Italian sort of mix. And we know that obviously there's definitely been, uh, you know, I- I enmity and, and, and things between, uh, large cultures of even those that we would consider white currently right now. Yeah, um, yeah. how did you get, cause I know when, when, when you go back to your book, you know, divided by faith, um, you're doing a lot of engagement in, this story between white evangelicals and black evangelicals. How did you how did you get from you know Scandinavians and Italians to writing in, in that capacity, which obviously has uh, a, 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 a rich history. I don't know if "rich" is the right word, but it has a history that we're talking about even today. So, how did you get to that point where you were dealing with sort of blacks and whites?
3: Yeah, we had gotten a grant, so it was myself and a few others to study American evangelicals. Right. Okay conservative Christians and we for it was a team of nine people but for whatever reason the other eight who were all white did not want to interview African-American Christians didn't feel comfortable doing so so they had me do that and the reason we had nine people on the project was everybody was going to take a region of the country we had divided it up into nine but because I was going to do all African-American interviews I flew around the country plus I interviewed white folks as well while I was going around the country.
2: Mm. So
3: what happened was uh, there's two, there's two uh, inputs there. So input one is that, and I'm hearing completely, I just shockingly different ways of people describing their faith and how they understand Christianity and what it means to them and how they employ it. Um, be they black or be they white. At the same time, God had done a, major transformation in our own family's life and that is we had lived in an all-white world and then god had used a thing called promise keepers movement sure if people have ever heard me speak they've heard me tell the story but Mm -hmm. out of that um i got a very clear vision from god and and with these words you'll live as the racial minority you and your family until i tell you otherwise Mm. and i chuckled at first because we lived in a all white community in central Minnesota. I just started as a professor at a essentially all white university, um, small university, but God made it happen, right? He gave a new job, a new place to live, a new church, uh, whole new social networks. And that was 22, 27 years ago and it, it hasn't changed since. It's been the call and that's what we've been living. So it was that juxtaposition of going through culture shock personally mm-hmm as a family, because we had never experienced anything but a white world. Sure. And then seeing people talk about their faith in such different ways divided by faith is trying to make sense of what is going on.
0: Wow. And I know, you know, obviously we talk about it here on the show and and, and folks are probably, you know, they hear about the book, obviously it, it's been 20 Two years, something around there? 22 years. Uh, 22 years, yeah. years uh, since you wrote it before. So for those who haven't read the book, how do you usually kind of sum it up for people? You know what I mean? Are there some major points that you, you throw in there?
3: Yeah. So, you know, the you always think about taglines. Yeah. Uh, despite good intentions, uh, white evangelicals do more harm than good in race relations. And it's because they use... Uh, uh, cultural, religious, cultural tools that actually, um, hinder making progress in race. So I can talk about those cultural tools. I can talk about separation of church and state. I don't know how much you want me to get into. Oh, that. well, I
0: think, I think people are listening going, I think the question is probably cultural tools. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah, that's right.
1: There's a part of me that's wondering like of those tools, which are the ones that you wish you could talk about more I know that in, in in podcasts, the questions may come to you. And I don't know if you're anything like me, when you study something, there's usually something that you wish you could talk more about <laughs> right. and, and no one ever asked you really about that. So like, which one of those things are the things that you're like, Hey, I really wish we could talk about this thing more.
3: Yeah. Okay. Well, quickly describe, there's only three of them uh, that that we talk about in the book. So then we can talk about which one I'd love to talk about. most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. All right, so fundamental, like I became a Christian a couple days before I turned 18, and as I was shared the faith with me, and as I understood it, it's an individual relationship between me and God, me and Christ, and so I confess my sins. So fundamental to the understanding um, of my own faith is that it's an individual relationship with God, with Christ. Mm. Well, that becomes the fundamental cultural tool, at least among white evangelicals, that what's real what is at the base what is central and what is core are individuals mm. and we know that we go beyond that we, we have to relate to other humans but if we're at more individuals and the way we relate to other humans is one-on-one so we call that the relational cultural tool which means individual relationships right mm. um, and then the third one then is the direct corollary. And when you combine these, that's when you get the impact that I'll talk about in a moment. And that's called anti-structuralism. So it's, if the individual is what's real and what is cold, mm-hmm. and then individual relationships are the second thing that's real, what happens is that everything else is described when we interviewed people, white folks at least, as facades, fake um, uh, incorrect, uh, excuses, Mm. uh, all of that. So there's a denial that policies, uh, culture, any of these kind of things really, really matter. What matters is individual action, individual initiative, individual decisions. So there's where you get such a big, big divide. Because when I'm interviewing African-Americans, they have no problem talking about uh, the community and the importance of the group and the importance of how policies and laws and practices impact entire people groups, impact their own lives. And those are the things that white evangelicals completely rejected over and over again. We had a question that we would ask, and it says something like this. According to studies, um, white folks have more income, better housing, better access to schools and so on than black folks. Why do you think this is? And one out of every seven white evangelicals said, "You sir have your facts wrong. That is not true." Mm -hmm. So that was one thing. But if they then did agree with it, they would give explanations such as, "People don't work hard enough. People don't know that they could succeed." Um, So they stick with the individual and relationships. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here's one something I I say a lot. The most common phrase we'll hear is, and we usually say it proudly changing one heart at a time for god or you know changing the nation one heart at a time yeah. and Yeah. we're very proud of that that comes out of that individualism and i always say the devil who doesn't believe that is busy changing the entire nation at a time and that's mm. why we're always playing ketchup
1: wow mm. wow yeah i know that that individualism <clears throat> or that at least that individual lens versus that group lens I too have found is a significant difference in conversation. Obviously, you know, um, once you know that, once you're thinking that way, you can you can pick that out of conversations, um, even the cultural conversations that we're having around race now, Christian or not Christian, you can just see that it's part of the American, <laughs> it's a dynamic in the American conversation around race, anyway. And mm-hmm. and and in some ways the two groups talk past each other because they haven't agreed upon um, which dynamic to actually talk about together first. And I found that a lot of the black community, at least some, I'll speak about the black community, a lot of the black community, you know, internally, there's a lot of conversation about individual choice, you know, and there's a lot of conversation, there's a lot of clubs in neighborhoods and um, programs in, in, in black neighborhood churches, designed to help the individual make different individual choices Um, designed to help them be less criminal or to you know be better fathers or fill in the blank you know pursue their school uh, as an important thing to do for their own sense of self uh, a sense of self-esteem a sense of individual worth all those things are are things that I grew up hearing in Black neighborhoods tell me as an individual, you are somebody, one somebody, you are somebody, Mm -hmm. you are this, all those things are individual messaging. And so I don't know that the the Black community has a problem fully with uh, the the individual lens. It's just that uh, that community also knows that the social broad communal lens has a significant effect on progress and moving forward as well. And it's that secondary part that, like you're saying, there's a disconnect in the conversation between that and what um, what we often get from our white counterparts, who in some ways deny completely, it seems they're willing to deny completely the effect of communal dynamics as it pertains to success and lifestyle and moving forward and want to rely 100% on the individual, which black persons are like, yes, there are some of that, but there's also this over here. Yeah. And both of those things are here.
3: Yeah. And the irony, right. Is that, um, and we've got lots of data on this white folks when like, when they're raising their children don't actually live out what they profess. They really do care what neighborhoods they're in and they really Mm -hmm. do care what schools their kids go to and who their friends of their children are. And that shouldn't matter, right? If if you truly believe it's just individualism, I guess in some friendships, you should be able to overcome any odds. We heard that a lot. Everybody should be able to overcome. You're you're born at some situation, fine. But you can overcome anything. Um, yeah, so.
2: Yeah,
0: and and, and I, I think that's a great thing. A, a good articulation is that it, there are times that people are selectively uh, collective, you know, or selectively yeah. thinking about the community. And we talk about it all the time, like we and it, it, nobody it's it's even a conversational race where we kind of look at the inequities that we see right now and you know where the conversation sometimes goes to um hey this is the product of you know history right and people will say well i didn't have anything to do with that right like i'm i'm just me i, I didn't have anything to do with that um and yet when we you know when we go to uh you know independence day everybody is they're playing the songs and and crying about the independence of this country that you had nothing to do with creating this independence, right? Uh, yeah. But but you'll selectively be, and even we, what we were just talking about, you like we were at the beginning of this, we were talking about. You know you're a North Carolina fan. You know what I mean, and you were collectively thinking of yourself, but you don't play basketball for North Carolina, right? right. But you're a collect. <laughs> but you're like, I will, I will own that collectivist. And now you may, you may be like some of those fans that when North Carolina is losing, you can easily jettison them. Uh, you know what I mean? But uh, for fair the most weather, part, fair collectivism. Maybe that's it. We're just like white evangelicals are kind of like fair weather <laughs> racial <laughs> engagement people. I don't know. Maybe that's the deal, but. Uh, I think it's interesting, though, uh, you know, you, so you were talking about individualism as one of those tools. Like, is that the one that you thought was like the most interesting, or that you don't get to talk about as much? Was there another cultural tool that you...
3: No, it is the anti-structuralism one, and it's uh, for the reason Antoine said, that you can find individualism and relationalism across all cultures, but what makes white evangelicalism so unique and stand out is the denial that there's anything else.
0: Yeah, so the that's the anti-structural piece. Yeah. And mm-hmm now in the book you and again we'll, we'll move past the book in a bit cuz you got more work that you're you're doing right now uh, that kind of coincides with that but uh, i found it inter- i think one of the things i really found interesting about the book i mean there were several um but the the way that you kind of treated even the conversation around group dynamics though right like there's this mm-hmm. idea that and again this goes back to the sort of individual versus collective there is, if I is c- extracted this correctly from your book, there, there is this sense, though, that we are a part of something. And if we say something that's, you know, ant- the, that is uh, antithet- antithetical to sort of the core values of the group that we're a part of, that we will be kicked out of that group. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's almost that group dynamic that creates a, a, um, a sort of subtle and sometimes very, you know, not so subtle pressure to, to keep people saying the same company line even though maybe something inside of them may disagree with it, they go, if I say that, I'll be kicked out of my group, and then where will I land? Is that, is that some of the things that you were, you were engaging in as well?
3: Yeah, right? So at the root, we want to belong. We are mm-hmm. social beings. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the power of the group, that they can, they can uh, shun us. They can just say, you no longer belong, and mm-hmm. then what? That is a very frightening, chaotic thought. Sometimes people can say, "I don't care," and they live that way. But very few people can actually do that, especially long term. Mm. So, yeah, sometimes people may not even uh, fully believe what they're saying, but because that's what the group says, they they come to at least adopt it enough to stay in the group. Yeah, wow,
2: yeah,
0: and I think that I, I I don't know is I feel like there's some of that even right now, uh, mm-hmm. in the midst of how we're engaging in these conversations. Um. It, it, how does in some ways, and maybe this is a it, it may be a, a a loaded question, right? But shouldn't shouldn't the church offer something a little bit different in this, <laughs> in some capacity?
3: Oh, my, of course, yeah. And 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 it's clear in the Bible what it's supposed to be, right? So the thing mm-hmm. we've been describing, I would say, is that we're trying to figure out who our tribe is and mm. what we're born into is. We're told our tribe is. A racial group. And then if our racial group is really huge, maybe it's uh, an ethnic group within that racial group. And my word, it's so clear in the founding of Christianity, they had the exact same tribes. Hmm. And God's saying, uh-uh, yeah. you have a new tribe and a new family. It's called fellow Christians, period. Makes no difference what they look like, how much money they make, the size of their bank account, where they live. But we just can't. We have the answer, but we don't seem to be able to live it. Well, what, what, what Absolutely,
1: it's the it's the it's the you know it's that First Corinthians twelve. Paul's Paul's writing to it um, multiple ways in in First Corinthians, right? Where he's talking about, hey, you're not you're not whether it's a racial tribe, that got into ideological tribes. Which uh, you're of Paul and you're of Cephas, and he's like, no, 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 no. We're all the one thing. And so he gets to 12 and he's like, hey, you're one body. And it's so interesting because he in that set in in the verse in that chapter 12, when he's talking about the body continually deals with the fact that you are both individual and group. He says we're one body, but you are members of it. And he says it three times Mm -hmm. in a very short series of verses while he's Mm -hmm. talking about the eye and the hand and why we can't say. We don't need something, but because they're not quite like us and that everything is necessary. And he says it, he says it three times. He's like, hey, there's one body, but many members of it, and you are one body. So you are a member of the body and you are the body. And um, mm-hmm. and that that theology is as, as and, and then we get to verse 13 or chapter 13, and 13 tells us how, how that can exist well how what what is the what is the connecting i can say what is the nervous system of the body it is what is the blood the circulatory system it is the it is the love of god that connects all those things together and so the two of those things are so so very obviously and clearly connected when you do first corinthians 12 and 13 that Mm. there's there's no reason why this should be something that we debate now it could be difficult to do and we could talk about how difficult it is and how how hard it is to to live into that existence, but that it is a thing seems to be uh, uh, something that we haven't completely settled completely on.
3: Yeah, wow, you just laid it out. I mean, my word. And it, and also in there, if you recall, the it says you I give special attention to the. Yes, right, the, right to the, what I would interpret as basically the marginalized right. among you, like to give them special special honor. honor. Again, that's yeah. not to be debated. It's 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 command.
0: Yeah. So, what is the is there a sociological explanation to why we have a hard time sort of getting to this that you can see? I mean, you've been doing this for a while, and you've you've said it many times, I'm sure, to people, and there's still this pushback. So, so what's 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 the sociological answer of, of why this is so difficult for us?
3: Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, in in sociology, we talk almost endlessly about socialization. So, when we are born, we don't actually know about race or differences between people we might notice but they don't mean anything like if you've had kids you know they they see differences they ask questions but they don't attach value like oh that person's better and this person is worse and so on you learn to do that and our culture socializes into these categories so then when we become christian and even if we start out really young by the time we realize we're christian and start practicing it we have already fully absorbed what the culture has taught us mm. So we're trying to unlearn that while we're trying to learn this new vision. And the problem is, and we talk about this in Divided by Faith, you, we fail and we fail endlessly because we're doing it in racially separate congregations.
2: Mm.
3: Yeah. So we're, we've already defeated ourselves because we're not living out the call and we're trying to say, well, that doesn't matter. But why are we doing that? I think this is so, so ironic. Well, people like this is what we're always told. People like to worship with people like themselves. Mm. We have similar cultures and we're more comfortable. That, that was created. That 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 is not natural. That is created mm-hmm. by a fallen society. Don't accept mm-hmm. that. Reject it.
0: And I think that's a great comment uh, to make, um, because most of us, I think we do. will say that, you know what I mean? It just seems like you said, it seems natural that we would go towards these, you know, entities that look a lot like us. But in, in some ways, I mean, isn't that kind of what the whole issue with Babel was? Is that yes. we were all like, oh, let's just stay here and be comfortable with each other. And then we don't have to be scattered and have all these problems. And God is like, wait a second. That is, that's the opposite of what I told you guys to do. And so yeah. it intervenes supernaturally to make his mission uh, continue in the way that he had told them to do. And I think that's great because I do think that's kind of the fallback to people is like, Hey, it's kind of this de facto sort of
3: segregation of like, well, you know, people just like to hang out with people who are like them. Yeah, absolutely. And you think about it. I mean, that seems like the real work of discipleship in Christianity is the reorienting that who is like you fellow Christians again, period. That's so hard for us to learn. We always want to put a comma and say fellow Christians, who are, and then maybe the race mm-hmm. or similar income sure. or live by me, or that's the difficult part for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and that falls There's in a too. song
1: that the Jesus in me loves the Jesus in you. That's yeah. a song we used to grow up singing uh-huh. that that should be the way it works, but it doesn't seem like that's always the way it works.
0: Now how, again, it's been, it's been 20 years since you kind of wrote this, this, this book and started this research. And I know it's kind of spawned a lot of
3: things uh, has what has changed over the past 20 years, What has changed? A lot has changed. So in 20 years, we have gone from uh, definitely lots of people and kind of the dominant line for the nation is we have moved beyond race. We are now colorblind. Uh, You know, in 2008, we have a black president that proves there are no barriers and no limitations anymore. In fact, the black president can, he can also, he's also multiracial. That, that too is our society. Well, then we had the invention of uh, the phone uh-huh. where we can record and we started seeing videos of very terrible things happening. And people could communicate a lot easier through social networking. And what has really changed now is a lot more people see race as very real and there's a lot less denial that it's there. A lot more people are talking about issues like justice and a lot less about reconciliation. Mm. For a while, people were very into talking about we ought to worship together. I hear more and more talk about, we should not worship together. (laughs) It's uh, an unjust system and so on. So those are some of the changes. Yeah. And I remember,
0: You know, when we when we first met, it was uh, it it, it was at the Mosaic Conference in 2019 and it was in a breakout. And I don't think you were leading the breakout, but you were you were brought up to kind of (laughs) talk about some things uh, in the breakout. And there was lots of conversation going on. It was really a great breakout because it wasn't it didn't feel like it was a presentation. It was like, all right, let's just talk about this. Uh, And and I remember somebody stood up in the midst of all that and they were like, hey, guys, what are y'all doing about CRT? And, and people were like, what's that? And then he, yeah. You know, went on like critical race theory. And that was the first time, like, it was like November of 2019. And everybody in the room was like, what are you talking about? You remember all that? It was crazy. And uh, so you're in here, you're a sociologist, you're talking about these things. Obviously, things have changed over the year. People are, you, you, you're you saying that people are more, who are more, uh, they believe more that race is a thing. But there's a part of me that goes, I feel like that's not happening. I feel like there's more denial uh, now and CRT would be one of those spots. I mean, what do you think? What do you like? How does CRT yeah. kind of play into that then?
3: Okay, so at the global level, it is true. There's one singular, particular, strong exception. The strongest exception is white Christians, not whites in general. It is white Christians, and um, at the conference, I'll show lots of evidence of this, and we'll talk about why. But white christians have invested immense amounts in denying over these last few years that race is a thing Mm. even as it seems to be more and more a thing and that racial injustice exists and particularly using crt which as you said three years ago nobody even knew what it was (laughs) uh to now it is the main boogeyman everybody is trying to figure out and label you if you're crt then that means you are satan you are anti-christian if it's Used in that way, uh, white folks, you know, and the other term, woke, you're woke. That's a very mm-hmm. bad thing to be now. Uh, supposed to stay sleeping, apparently. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, if we would invest, if white Christians would invest as much energy in trying to overcome racial injustice as they are into trying to deny that it exists and to be labeling people, we could maybe make some progress on race.
0: Hmm. But isn't the isn't the conversation and this is, you know, the question. Isn't the the study that you're doing? I mean, isn't that perpetuating people to be thinking more about race? I mean, shouldn't <laughs> we I mean, shouldn't we be kind of moving past that and shouldn't these studies of of sociological studies of human behavior like shouldn't we be moving aren't you creating more of that in some cases? Like how do you how do you respond to something like yeah. that?
3: Yeah. You you hear that a lot, right? And I'll I'll say something like, if if there is a cancer, if you have cancer in your body, do I help you by saying we're not going to deal with it? We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to try to address it. We are going to say it's not there, and then everything will be fine. If we do not talk about race, which is so fundamental, racial injustice, so fundamental to so much of this society from the very beginning, and we say, let's just move on and stop talking, then what that does is it allows the people benefiting from it to keep benefiting from it and everybody else to keep losing from it. So you'll notice that there's one group in particular that will keep advocating, let's not talk about it. And those are the people winning from it.
2: Hmm. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's one of those things where... Um, <laughs> oh, man. it's Yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you're like... Um, is you're you're not going to yeah you're not going to find solution by without acknowledgement right you're gonna to have to notice that the thing is the thing yeah. and and you're pointing out or sort of singling out the Christian community and I think it's because this is my own thought and which we've said before but I think it's because the race conversation can potentially pass cast this negative light on white christian history of mm-hmm. which this group has a strong sense of identity and so that again, group, identity, back, right? group identity right collective group identity yeah. and so to attach myself too strongly to that group um uh, to that to that negativity um is is to die a little bit if to use the language i used earlier to 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 as we're trying to survive right is to is to give something away and I either want to separate myself from it by saying it wasn't me, I didn't do it, or I want to or I want to separate myself from it from saying it we fixed it and it's no longer a problem. Yeah. Uh, but what I refuse to do is to acknowledge it as an ongoing problem of which I have some responsibility to continue progressing. And 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 we talked about this in some of our classes and such, where we would say, hey, there's a way to look at racial history in America to see it as a series of progresses, you don't have to see it as as a series of shames. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't have to be on, um, you don't have to be uh, ashamed of your American history. You can see that it was very bad and then it moved from very bad to bad. And like there, there's, that there we're on a trajectory of progress that you get to pick up the baton and move forward on it. That's good. You can be proud of that. But mm-hmm. that narrative doesn't stick hasn't stuck i don't believe with for very many people that i get chances to speak to they don't want to be associated at all with any of the negative thing in it and and it's just better to say it's not my problem or it's not a problem and to keep moving
3: yeah yeah there's a new kind of term that's uh taking root in sociology called the the epistemology of ignorance Mm. which is um so epistemology is how you come to know so when you juxtapose those words, you're saying how you come to know, not know, Uh, how you come to (laughs) not not know.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. There's this really cool. It's actually was done at Texas A&M and then at a school in the North as well, university, but um, a professor taught multiple race and ethnic courses and would give an assignment after they learn all about racial inequality and the students would say, Oh, this is terrible that this has existed in the past, terrible that it exists now she um, would give this assignment where they are supposed to go and interview their parents, their grandparents, if they're living, and even their great grandparents, if they're living. Mm. And she gave them a rubric to try to identify if their family had either benefited from policies that had been racially based, such as, you know, being able to get mortgages, loans, all these kind of things, right. or if their family had uh, suffered from them. So would, they would have to write then a paper about it. So she found that across all of these Classes, uh the white kids had six times the benefits of the other students. But here's what she found: even though they understood and they were horrified that it all existed, they would use uh one of four ways to not accept that their family had benefited from what they just said they had benefited from. Okay. The white students, these are young folks, they're supposed to be progressive. They could not. So they would say. Yes, my family benefited, but they wouldn't have if they'd known that they were benefiting. So this is called the myth of, of white purity, that mm. white folks were not bad really people. really do wrong. Mm. So that it had to be they didn't know.
2: Okay.
3: Um, another one, which is stunning to me, is um, we got all these benefits, and I just feel so blessed that we were able to get these benefits. So they were unable to think about the cost to other people or sure. that other people didn't get them. They were just grateful that they got there. And then there are two others a little bit more complicated, but they're both all four are ways to deny that anything wrong was done, is done, or that they should have to do anything different because they have benefited over the generations.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Well, that's interesting. You know, and and what I love is I I think those who take the time, like yourself, to not just kind of – throw out you know ideas about what's going on but taking really time to study it you know what i mean Mm -hmm. i think we need folks like yourself who are going no i'm going to take some time and really interview people you know what i mean and 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 do you know experiments if you will in the midst of it because i think it is easy for us to kind of just think okay it's this thing out here on the side but when you start to put some data to it even though i know people are skeptical of even data uh when you bring it but you i understand are doing uh with, uh, with Dr. Glenn uh, Bracey that you've been conducting what some would call, you know, uh, the most comprehensive study on race and religion ever, right? So uh, tell us, uh, and I'm sure, I think you're going to talk a little bit about this at the conference, but tell us a little bit about what that study is uh, so that our listeners can understand that a little bit better.
3: Sure. We're trying to, you know, take a lay of the land of where are we in terms of race and faith around, you know, the year 2020. It's, we started in about 2018, and we're still, still doing it. Just finishing a book on it. But okay, wait, just sorry. Yeah.
0: I imagine the There's landscape. So much that happened between that landscape. And <laughs>
3: just can't. Twenty so. It's funny because you know we were talking earlier.
0: You were like, <laughs> I, when I kind of was looking up the research, it looked like the book was going to come out the spring of this year, the summer. And now that you're saying, it, I'm going, oh. There's so much that you have to kind of keep adding in as you go yeah. along. <laughs> like, oh, well, Dynamic actually, to keep it, this yeah. is what it is, right? So you got to get yeah. that book out quick before something else happens, right? <laughs> is that kind right, of...
3: it never it never stops. It's yeah. almost like we should publish the book virtually so we can change it. <laughs> <immediately>, right. right. <laughs> yeah.
0: So anyway, you yeah. were talking about what you guys were actually trying to unpack. Sure, that yeah, time.
3: yeah. Yeah, so the original intent, right, we're going to take a lay of the land in 2018, 2019. And, and what I'll first describe that. And then what changed, of course, right? Mm. So we, we started by interviewing a hundred plus Christian leaders of color. We filmed all these interviews and Mm. we were, we had a whole set of questions, but we usually only got through one or two questions because the first question was, where do you think we are in terms of race and religion in America today? And it would just go right. And these would be, yeah. So, but we kind of heard it. We heard a common narrative about especially Christians of color saying they feel like, they're being thrown under the bus by white Christians that when push comes to shove, if whites have to choose, they're choosing their racial tribe over their Christian family. Mm. So we did then used that and we had a team of, uh, we had what we call a collaboration team of 300 practitioners and scholars who helped inform each step along way. But then we did a big national survey that was designed to test some of the things that we were hearing And so that was like to about 3,000 people randomly sampled. And then we've done a lot of analysis there. Then we went back and we did what we call focus groups, where we talked to people in groups. Okay, all of that happened before 2020. And we know we had COVID. But then we had the huge uprisings and the murders and everything that happened in the summer of 2020. And we're like, well, we can't stop now. Have things changed? Mm. And so we went back into the field, that's what as we say, again starting in late summer of 2020 and, and stayed there. And I'll give one example. So we were able to ask the same question in 2019 and 2020. So, like basically like August September 2019 and August September 2020. Mm. Do you think our country has a race problem? And in 2019, the majority of every group said, definitely we have a race problem, except one group white christians 38 percent only said we definitely have a race problem okay then we had the huge upheavals of the summer of 2020 certainly if we ask in 2020 there's going to be more people saying we definitely have a race problem okay remember though we just talked about this epistemology of ignorance Mm. it's an achieved thing passed on generation to generation where white folks learn to not know about race. And by not knowing, you can, generation after generation, never really get anywhere. Because I always say every, I've been teaching for 32 years now at, at, in college. And for 32 years, students come to me and the white students say, I've never heard this before. Where, how come I was never told that this is mm. happening? That's the epistemology of ignorance. All right, all that to say, when we did it in 2020, Every group went up and saying, "There's definitely a race problem." Except one, practicing white Christians—they actually declined a smaller percent after seeing everything that happened that summer. Said we have a race problem. That's the epistemology of ignorance in real time.
0: Wow, that's crazy. How do you counteract the epistemology of ignorance? I mean, do you guys have y'all figured the, out? You te- tell us. Epistemology how to do, yeah. of,
1: of, of learning, but yeah, but, well, yeah like <laughs> critical thinking or <laughs> don't, what have you,
0: but but. I don't, I mean because we're talking data right now but I mean have you thought like are you guys talking about like how do you overcome that
3: hmm. yeah and I, I don't want to say everything cuz I want to give oh, away when yeah, we yeah, talk sure, about in the conference. Sure. yeah that's okay. good okay. Give, give a teaser yeah. you want to kind of come to the conference but give us maybe a maybe a just a, yeah. a nibble here's a little teaser that will make no sense just out of the blue <laughs> okay. we got to convert people from a religion that isn't Christianity which most white Christians are practicing mm. to Christianity Wow. You well, just go to drop I'm that, that right there. Yeah, I'm a hundred. I'm in. Yeah, I <laughs> just learned so. that I wish we had a mic drop.
1: There is a, there is a, there is a thing a visual, a visual presentation though, that has a little mic drop
0: uh, thing on it. We need to put that in here somewhere. Uh, no, <laughs> i make, it's just I make like a drop here. Just drop yeah, just the mic. That, I mean, yeah. I
1: mean, yeah. And
0: let's it's, go on it's, that for it's a second. Profound, let's, yeah. And yet it's simple, you
1: know, Profound, let's go, let's go, simple. let's go
0: in on that though. Cause I think that's what
1: I'm saying. You, yeah. you, you go, you go, you say, why don't you go back? What, what, what Paul's, I mean, what, um, what G- Jesus instructs John to write in revelation, uh, to, to the church is just go back to your first love. Right. Yep. You mm-hmm. know, like, can you just, I think you, I think you've chased other loves mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've centered other loves. There's other loves. He said Mm -hmm. your first love as though there's a second and a third and a fourth. He said, I want you to go back to the first one, right? Mm -hmm. To, To the thing, the thing that, the thing that saved you, the thing that you were born into as a believer, as a, as a child of God, the spirit of God, uh, breathing inside of your, your body that he says, go back to the first love, uh, because, because you're missing it. And, it feels like it feels like it's that kind of prophetic um, challenge.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. We're talking, though, I mean, because this is a profound sort of statement, right? Like this it's idea that you could be practicing the wrong Christianity and not even be knowing about it. Mm-hmm. So where do you find, if I can say it, dare say it, where do you find then the right
3: Christianity? Well, we find it in the Bible, of course. Well, but sure. then <laughs> there's always critics who say, well, you can interpret the Bible in multiple ways. So we don't really know. Well, mm-hmm. baloney. We know God gave us his word for a purpose, not to just say, oh, we can't really tell. We can tell. Here's what I believe. Other people can believe other things. I think that God created us diversely with different cultures and different understandings so that collectively we then know who God is. That's the true Christianity. It's when we have to collide and interact with each other Mm. that we start siphoning out and sifting out that that those second and third loves and get back to the first love we can't do it on our own we can't do it in our separate cultures because our cultures are all limited they all are have fallen aspects to them just like they have good aspects to them uh you know the old uh if i'm if I'm, we have three blind men or three blind women and they're touching a elephant but yeah. different parts they're all going to describe it differently yeah but if they can describe it together they're going to collectively arrive at what the elephant
0: really is yeah and in that con in that particular you know analogy there's always the you know because people use that with religion too they're like you know sort of pluralism or uh in that too and the, the the key piece is that there is an entity that actually sees the whole you know the whole elephant right yep. And so even that's when you true. describe it that entity can you can bounce it off that entity's perspective that actually sees the whole thing so that you know that you're describing the right yep. thing um that's right and that's in addition you know, to that
1: going oh, to so that in addition to that, what you're saying earlier, you know, the the answer to to the question about, you know, how do you find the right Christianity, is in the Bible. This isn't even in the ancillary parts. No, no, you know, there right the there are aspects of the Bible that you like. Man, this part is tough. I'm not sure exactly what this means. You know, this this whole concept about people uh, uh, being together and uh, needing each other and, and needing each other and being. This is this is the core message. This is the you're blessed to be a blessing that Abraham was blessed with, right? From the moment from 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 early, it was I want to through you show me not and 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 everybody right. And that's that's the starting place of this puzzle that is a six piece seven piece puzzle, puzzle not a fifteen hundred piece puzzle where you got to go find all these pieces and spend twenty minutes. No, you wait.
0: wait you doing a how many? How many? You doing that in twenty minutes? Fifteen hundred. Oh no, oh no Man, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I'm just, everybody that, just yeah. count that. That, but Antoine yeah, like a thousand piece yeah. puzzle.
1: Like we're not talking about a thousand pieces that you got to sit down and right. pour over and and think really hard about where things fit together. It's probably six or seven really main concepts that hold Christianity together. That this is clear and evident in, and I, it is isn't in not in some ways it's an indictment on us as the um American church culture that that this fundamental concept is at such um is under such uh attack uh, or or it's is not so it's ignorant not, yeah. you know or is in such a blind side you know blind spot of of uh of our Christian uh discipleship mm-hmm. altogether but mm-hmm. we gotta wrap up I'm sure
0: yeah and uh, well and as we wrap up I think you know kind of as lots of good stuff uh, talk about but I think that you know really leaning into that point um because it is a dangerous game uh if indeed what you're what you're talking about is this idea of that there is a kind of Christianity that that maybe seems like Christianity but it's not you know it's the we've said it here before it's it's the the Tom and Jerry of of Christianity right like if you (laughs) look at Tom and Jerry he's they they take they run a race and, and Tom gets out front Uh, of Jerry in the race and he gets to a fork in the road and you got a sign that says "end of the race and you got a sign that says quicksand and what does Tom do? He just, he flips it, you know what I mean? And so (laughs) the the scary part, you know, is that Jerry gets there and he just starts running towards the end of the race, not knowing that it's quicksand. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing. It's like the narrow road versus the wide road. It's that, it's that understanding that the devil is always out there, um, trying to create a sense of comfort in the way that you do things, uh, while you are heading towards him. Uh, and so it's something we have to be we have to be cognizant of and, and constantly be aware of. And in this particular race conversation, I think there's a lot of discussion to have about that. And we will have more of that discussion uh, at the Mosaic Conference. And so, hey, Dr. Emerson, we're so glad that you were able to come on the show and give us a little taste uh, of what you're going to do at the Mosaic Conference. I appreciate you coming out and being a part of
3: it. Hey, I, I'm just looking forward to the conference, and I hope as many people can come. But you're going to make it exciting if they can't come and they can watch – and engage online. It's, uh, it's going to be fantastic.
0: Thank you. Oh, man. Okay, look. We just had the interview with Dr. Michael Emerson. Uh, Antoine, this is kind of a new thing. We're, we're trying out a little bit here. Just kind of a little bit of commentary, yeah. if you will, after the, the interview. You know, so many times we yeah. have our own shows that we're talking about, but we bring somebody on. We're just like, oh, I wonder if we can do a little commentary for the folks. We've been, it's been requested, yeah. so... Um, yeah. as we're uh, you know as you kind of just listened to that interview uh, and engaged in that, was there anything that that hits you more profoundly than yeah. others or anything that kind of shook you you know whatever to positive or negative
1: well i'm definitely interested and one of the things i'm most interested and in, certainly at the conference i'm going to be interested to hear him break down this concept of the epistemology of ignorance um it sounds really academic.
2: <laughs> sure.
1: uh, there's a part of me that's got a, is, grow, is growing an allergy. I know that's my favorite, I say that phrase a lot about things, but toward new isms. Well, I, you I, have a lot of you know, allergies.
0: So, I mean rather, is- uh,
1: that's true, I got a lot of allergies. Yeah.
0: But if it were,
1: but like, I feel like we're often getting new isms and new allergies. Uh-huh. You know, everything's an ism or an allergy uh, nowadays. And so there's a part of me that's like, okay, here's another allergy. But, um, but I like that way he broke it down. Epistemology means the way of knowing, which, which I can appreciate. And then, and there, there does seem this dynamic of protecting ignorance yeah. in a way. Um, um, and and so weird. It feels malicious. Yeah. To say something like that, to do something like that, and I'm curious how accidental it is, and and or how intentional it is, and who who's doing it, and how how conscious or subconscious it is. So. I'm curious to see how that is playing out, but it it definitely feels l- like the product of observation, you know, like conversation we have all the time um seem to represent this concept of man i I don't know and I don't wanna know, and I don't want others to know and um and I think that's interesting, so i'm um, I thought that was really yeah, I don't know well I, to interest. your point
0: like it 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 I don't know if it, I'm not going to say it changes the game, right? But it just, it it continues to explain the game, right? We we are, I think we already know. It's like we, like I said, yeah, yeah,
1: we live in it and someone puts
0: some language to it. Put some language to it. That's exactly right. And so then you have to kind of go, okay, if this is a sociological thing, like if it's like somebody studying this and they're seeing like this, this continual pattern of it, uh, then there's something sort of in the midst of our society that allows that to continue to happen. Right. And so where do you have to start to, to, focus your energy to disrupt that. Um, and yet, at the same time, I think we are doing that. I think that that's part of the work everybody's doing is they're trying to disrupt this, this epistemology of ignorance, like break it away and, and, and reorient people and all these different things, but there's a strong sort of, e- whether uh, subconscious or even conscious and intentional move to, to keep you from or to keep you in your ignorance, right? It's language that's being utilized. And we've said this before, like you can go back to the the turn of the century in the 1900s. You can go back to to slavery and all those things. And you'll hear the same arguments against slavery. You'll hear the same words, almost verbatim utilized in this conversation right now against say the boogeyman of CRT. And it's fascinating, right? And I always say, who are you high-fiving in history, right? Like, or who are you taking the baton from in history with your lingo And I think if people knew more of who they sound like, well, again, my thought is that they might change. But based on what he's talking about, this epistemology of ignorance is somebody's going to come around and make them create a way for them to not know even what's going on. So
1: it almost perpetuates it, almost like feeds the cycle, because what this does is take progress and regresses (laughs) that progress. Right. Because the more the less you are aware of these things, the more likely you are to make the same mistakes. That history made, yeah. and eventually, that information that you're hiding is going to come out mm-hmm. and be told, and then the persons who have uh, a moral conscience about yeah. that information will <laughs> want to change it, and and so we keep have it's just going to continue to have this this conversation, this progress, this regression. This repeat of the yeah. old systems and and, and and issues and and so forth and so on is sort of, and then the conversation again, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and rinse and repeat. Yeah. Um. It's like this uh, this ignorance precedes regression, and and we've certainly it has certainly felt like, in the last year or so, that we have regressed. Um, I think we had a, we, I think we did a podcast a long time ago. Like, hey man, how do you feel about it? We Where are we? Do we progress yeah. after twenty twenty? And I think at that time we thought we would progressed a little bit, but we wanted to see how long it would last. Yeah. And I think if we were to do that show now, um, I would say that we took two steps forward, and now we are officially three steps back. Right? We <laughs> and we we have, and not only do we have, uh, uh atheist if you will, agnostic opinions about race racism. Yeah. But we have active forces in our society seemingly protecting um, forms of racism to the degree that they're writing it into laws and changing our history books and 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 entering it into our into our uh, legislative and political life.
0: Yeah, I wonder. The, you know you know, yes and right. Like I wonder if part of that that strong push in the opposite direction is because they feel a strong push against them. Right. It, because I, I, cause what I would say is, yes, I, I definitely, if I'm in some circles, I feel like there's this push that is trying to, you know, protect and all these other things. But I also have noticed at least, you know, in the work that we do in threaded, like, like I'm talking to way more churches that are, that are desirous <laughs> and starting to actually make, make uh, decisions and uh, invest in trying to make changes. Um, I'm, I'm talking to more. It's not, it's not at the progress and or the, the um, it's not moving as fast as I think most of us would like, but I'm, I'm just watching it happen. I mean, I, I spent the last two days, I was in DC and, and Baltimore, you know, talking to, there was, I was in a room in DC with uh, probably 35 leaders from all kinds of sectors in Christianity who were Having this conversation in a in what I would call appropriate ways in in, in Christian ways, not in the in the false Christianity that Doctor Emerson was talking about, but in kind of this quote unquote new Christianity, the true Christianity. Like I was really impressed with the fact that people were bringing up topics of like CRT and white supremacy, and like people weren't throwing food at each other. You know what I mean? And this is white, black, Hispanic, Asian. Yep. Everybody was there, and then being able to go, and then right after that, being able to go to. Um, uh, Baltimore and, and engage with these churches that are merging together a black church and a, a kind of a multi-ethnic church they they want to do more in the city and they, they go we, ca- we can just do more together we can bring these two entities together with the gifts we can do more and allow ourselves to to engage more with the community and I was just like wow you know what I mean like I'm just yeah, I'm seeing it happen but I think the people who are loudest are those who are in the opposition and those kinds of things Cut you even more, so they feel yeah. it's like it's like well, it's, it's like compliments the, versus critiques. You know what I mean? So yeah, and it's the loudness of the of, of people, but
1: yeah. it's also the 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 action. You know, like I, I guess say the the yeah, issue the is policies and things of that. Yeah, nature it's the policies, under. and those policies are just happening. You know, and again, they don't have to make an announcement about their, but they happen to be right because <laughs> because they think they can run on those things politically but they don't have to make an announcement about cuz they're in the they're in the, they're the, in the room, room where the laws they're in the control room yeah. yeah they're in the law so they just write a law right and and you we we can we can have a podcast about it but the law is written
2: yeah <laughs> you know what I'm saying exactly
1: and 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 in effect and can 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 change things so uh I agree with you I think there's various levels of progress and I guess you know naively you hope that people would have learned from history and been not at least not wanting to codify yeah. um, their, their ideas, um, but be willing to en- engage in them in an exchange. And it turns out the codification continues. And the the, 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 the big twist is that CRT is supposed to help us evaluate such codifications exactly, and, you know help. they want to make that to be not yeah, that it. at all but something else
0: yeah yeah and you know so that was a piece from it uh, i think the convo that was really i don't even know what i'm thinking about that right now it's like i can't wait to go to the conference <laughs> so i can so i can get some hope uh i think with that you know what i mean um but i, I think even the one of the pieces that kind of hit me is the mic drop you know what i mean we kind of been talking about this a little bit too is this mm-hmm. this and you don't want to say it right. Like You, you don't want to say uh, some people are going after a false Christianity and others are going after a true Christianity because anybody who says that doesn't think whatever they're doing is the false one. It's the false you know one. what I mean? Yeah. So so it's a weird sort of statement to kind of make. The Pharisee is always pointing yeah. to another Pharisee. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's what and that's what's happening. Right. Like everybody's kind of pointing and going, you're the false Christian. Uh, yeah. and again, it's, it's so fascinating in some ways that, you know, we're pointing at each other and, and how much that slows down anything that we're supposed to be doing, uh, because we're pointing at in, in sort of, you know, challenging each other's Christianity in the midst of the space around, around, uh, around a racial conversation that in itself should prove how important, uh, this conversation is, um, because I think the enemy is so, Profoundly at work in dividing us in this way, and he wouldn't mm-hmm. spend his time on anything that wasn't necessary, right? That wasn't important. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, unless we kind of just say, "Hey, this is important." He's like, "Great, I'll let you make it important." Then I can, I can, you know, divide you. But, mm-hmm. I, but I'm really just interested in that conversation because I know I've been, I've been thinking a lot about that. The, you know, the the idea of of how much, how much uh, we have created. Um, a legacy of theology that has actually pointed us to uh, away from true Christianity um, Mm -hmm. over hundreds of years. And what does that take Mm -hmm. to untangle that? Yeah.
1: And it took, it took, um, it took a civil war in some ways to undo the religious hold on some of the old racial theological positions. Mm -hmm. Because again, back then Mm -hmm. it was, this is the way this is the Christianity. This is the, this is the Christianity. And it took uh, um, it took it took so much to correct that level of of incorrect theology. Um, I'm not saying we are going to go into a civil war. I'm, I'm just speaking to how difficult it is to break through and correct age old traditional ways of thinking about yeah. Christianity I mean- when. When um and, and again Jesus dies for this. This is what he, he dies because he doesn't follow the current uh Israelite Christian leaders yeah. way of interpreting the law yeah. uh and the prophets. He he comes and he he's living into a a truer interpretation of those of the of the law and the prophets and and they don't agree and to the, to the point that for, I would say for good, with good intention in the sense that they believe that they are doing what they, they believe that they're protecting God or protecting God's things by crucifying Christ. They crucify Christ. Yeah. And, um and there he is on the, on, on, on the cross nailed up there. Uh, and they're self-satisfied both, both them as a Jew and them as a, god follower and a law follower and a you know and a learned scholar of the texts um they're self-satisfied and and feel like they've got a victory and man so it's 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 on and on in history is it's the great the great scary thing is to man, am i on the wrong side of this conversation right. christian as a christian you know and you just have to stay prayed up
0: well prayed up and and continues to to go into the scriptures and see, you know, I think that that's one of the things, and, and look, and none of us is above it. Right. Uh, Um, you know, you know, I've I've been, I've been studying, you know, Peter and sort of his, 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 uh, backsliding, Mm -hmm. if you will, in the midst of this cultural and kingdom conversation, you know, he, I mean, he was there when Jesus gave the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations, and he knew what uh-huh. that meant, right? He was there at Pentecost when he gave the uh-huh. message after the Spirit—you know—the Spirit came and spoke in tongues to all these people from different cultures. He, he, he was uh, uh, there for uh, the the transformation of Cornelius, the the Gentile Pentecost, right? He was the one who said, "I see now that God shows no favoritism, right, between Jews and Gentiles," and he then he had to go and and defend it in front of the council, kind of what they're going. Are you sure that Gentiles can come to know? He said, look, I saw the spirit come down. So God is doing yeah. something here. And yet when his boys come, uh, you know, to, to see him the, 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 as they're battling over this idea of circumcision or not circumcision, you know, Peter's hanging out with people from different cultures. He's eating, you know, he's eating bacon sandwiches with them. You know what I mean? And all of a sudden the circumcision comes in and he, he runs back to his culture, right? And runs back to his people. So it, it can happen to any of us, right, uh, if, we're not really, um, if we're not really putting our, and we said this in the, in the podcast, right, if we're not really putting the body of Christ before our limb uh, that we represent in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I think. I think that was a great thing that he articulated as far as, you know, I don't know if he, I can't remember if it was a solution or not, but this idea of being able to recognize that we need each other to actually understand who God is fully. Uh, right. Which goes to the body model, like we can't, the body can't do anything without each piece. It's it's necessary to have the cultures in connection with each other so that we can fully see who God is. And I think that that's that's a beautiful picture, and it's one we've been saying for a while. So uh, yeah, yeah, there's a
1: there's a there's a sermon title in that the necessity of diversity uh-huh. that could sit in that in that whole thing. But mm-hmm. yeah,
0: for sure. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. good. That's good. I think that's helpful. I, uh, I enjoyed it. I, I am looking forward to, um, I am looking forward to seeing him and, uh, understanding him at the conference. And so look, if you haven't signed up, uh, for the conference, uh, you got two ways to do it. You can do it in person, Uh, or you can do it in, uh, you can do it virtual. Of course, we're going to be there in the virtual space. So we know we got folks kind of all over the place that can't maybe come in. And so you want to definitely do that. Get your tickets now and then do that. But if you're going to come- Tickets are
1: only $69 for the virtual conference. And so um, uh, that's not that bad. There's going to be dozens of presentations um, that are going on. You, You heard Michael Emerson say- He's going to do a sixteen minute, so yeah. that's the longest form yeah. speaking of any of the plenaries. Almost all the rest of them, there's eights and there's sixteens,
2: mm-hmm. and so you're
1: going to get a ton of of speakers practitioners and, and speakers mm-hmm. and uh, uh you know leaders giving you nuggets um, from the plenary stage. And if you are on the the virtual conference, then you're going to get all of that. Right. Plus, you're going to provide. We're going to provide you. Uh, some um, some exclusive online conference experiences that uh you'll you'll be able to get into as well. Right. Uh, so sixty nine dollars delivers all of that. Sure. And so and well, if you get You didn't even talk can, about the
0: breakouts, you know they're gonna have that's right. Little, the
1: breakouts. Yeah you can get able all to jump of them, into the breakouts.
0: But yeah we're, we're gonna have some breakouts. So it, it will be feeling like a conference. But for those of you who are in town our Dallas sites, man, you got to make sure you show up. Buy those tickets and put threaded in the coupon uh, option and you'll get 20% off. And this is just a, this is just a shout out to, to all my church leaders and, and business owners, right? One of the things we want to do is we want to welcome the folks who are coming and let them know that the folks in Dallas, the Christians in Dallas are about this work, and so we want you to become local sponsors, right? We want churches to sponsor. We want local businesses to sponsor. And with $1,000, you just get your, get your church name and your business name. And it's, it's look, it's not about the money, right? It, it is about when when the folks who come from outside of here come and they look at all the sponsors and they see all the churches, that they see the Metroplex, they see the Dallas area as a place that is is open and engaged in this work and wants to lead the work uh, together with them, right? And so... We want you to become sponsors. You can do that at mosaicconference.com uh, dot, uh, dot as well. Go to the sponsor page. Slash,
1: yeah, you can type in mosaicsconference.com slash sponsors mm-hmm. and
0: you get, get a chance to to get in on that. Yeah, so definitely, if you got a business, if you lead a church, come be a sponsor. So let them know. This is our home turf, people. We want them to know that Dallas, Fort Worth, we are in the house and we are ready to lead on this. So uh, we're excited that we've been able to do this. I'm, I'm glad we got to do this little uh, this little after party here. You know what I mean? Talking about it, I think this might be something we might keep. So. Uh, Those of you who know, this is colored commentary, right? Colorful conversations by colorful people about Christianity, culture, and race. It is not colored to talk about the skin tones necessarily, but it's talking about lenses uh, that we get to look through, as Dr. Emerson even talked about, that we need everybody's lens to truly be able to see who God is. And so that's why we challenge you as you go into the world to stay colored. You have been listening to Colored Commentary, powered by Threaded, a biblical reconciliation organization. To find out more about Threaded, check out wearethreaded.org. And to join the show for live recordings and other events, subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out at coloredcommentary.com.